0: This is the industry standard.
1: Welcome to the Working Hands Podcast. I'm Tony of Woodland Iron, joined by Keith of Blackthorn Concepts, and tonight we have Brian Housefort of Housemaid and the Workfort Podcast. What's going on, boys? Hi. What? What's up? What is up?
2: Oh, so much and nothing all at the same time. But I'll start this episode off by thanking Sabretooth. Uh, If you use code WH, you could save 10% on your order. Uh, Go get yourself some carving discs and burrs. Uh, There is a challenge coming up on the 1st, I believe, I heard, on the Sabretooth account. So, December 1st. So, watch out for that.
1: And I'll take a moment to thank our sponsor, Maritime Nice Supply, your one stop shop for makers. Your house or your house. Oh, there we go. <laughs> your home for abrasive <laughs> steel tools and more. I always got screwed up somehow. Uh save on shipping by getting everything from one supplier. And also to uh as this releases, I think you've got like two or three days for the scholarship. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. it ends on December first. Yeah. So the scholarship we're talking about is the uh knife making or bladesmithing scholarship they have at, uh, new England school of metalwork. There's a, uh, uh, that's on the 20 or er, sorry. It's it ends. It ends the 1st of December. That's when it closes. So if you have anybody, you between, okay today, me, Tony, I'm having a day. <laughs> I'm trying to think I'm <laughs> coming off nights. So, uh, geez. <laughs>
2: <laughs> anyway, go check out the scholarship. If you're between 18 and 30, Uh,
1: 16 and 30.
2: What's 16 and 30, yeah. (laughs) Lawrence over at Maritime is sponsoring that. And go buy all your maker-related stuff at maritime.com or .ca. So what's up, Brian?
0: Well, I have had a pretty decent working week so far, and... We just did this uh, this collab with a, a guy named Ryan over at Nome Hammer Forge. You guys know Ryan? I've heard right? of him. Yeah. You've heard of this guy a little, a little
2: bit? Yeah, I've heard you I've know. heard his name thrown around here and there.
0: Yep. And you know, he came to me like six or eight months ago, and I didn't know who he was. And he sent me an email, and he and then we started following each other on Instagram. And he says, "You know, we ought to do a house made hammer." really want to get into hammer production. And I want I want to do this. And I, I thought it was a good idea because, you know, if the guy wants to make hammers and he's really pa- passionate about it, and I didn't fully know how passionate he was until I went to maker camp. And then I met him. <laughs> right. And
2: he's a passionate he one about, for sure. Yeah.
0: All he talked about was hammers. Right. And you're like, he's like, I love making hammers. I want to make production hammers. I want to do all this stuff. And I said, all right, well, let's, let's sit down and design a hammer. So we did. And he loved the concept, just a simple cross peen, right? A very useful hammer that was an influence. Uh, that design influence came from Nick Rossi because Nick is a big proponent of as few tools as possible. You don't need all these fancy hammers. You just need a cross peen. You know, Nick is big. He's pro cross peen, if that makes sense. So, um, We designed a crossbeam, sent it to Ryan, sent him the drawings. We did this all over Instagram, by the way, like Instagram and text (laughs) messaging, basically and email. And he comes back, I think in two days with a prototype, like a half made head of this hammer. And he was just like, I love this design. I think it's great. I think we could do this. And like every, it seemed like every couple of hours I would get this update different changes and whatever, you know, and all these things. And I'm like, man, this guy, he's definitely got what it takes. This is what he's chosen as his path. And I know what that feels like because I did the same thing. And I just went after whatever I wanted, you know, and he did the same thing. And now I talk to Ryan every day, like every day, multiple times a day. And it's because I think he's just such a, uh, he's, he's not only just a, A passionate business person and understands like what it takes to you know grow a business or at least start one and make it work. But he's also just a really cool guy, real nice guy, and uh, I I glean some passion from him on days where I don't feel so good, and I'd like to think that we do the same for him. And so it's it's great to watch him blossom into you know wherever he's going. You know his journey is just very interesting. And then um, the the Hammer Project was something. That we had never even considered until we met Ryan, but then it evolved into us like doing the hot stamp project. And I wanted to, you know, which send him these great hot stamps, you know, for the hammers. And I went and priced them all out and they were really expensive. And the lead time was going to be months and it, And we weren't going to be able to get the hammers made by the time I wanted to, which was like right around Thanksgiving or, or a little bit after that. Some, I'd like them to all ship by December or around there. No pressure, Ryan get to work, buddy. I'm just kidding. He's already working. I already know he's working. And uh, so we, we ended up, I'm like, we got a laser. Like, can't we make these on our own? You know, this has got to be something we can do on our own. And later, like the next day I had my first working hot stamp in my hand, like, man, this is what the journey is really all about. Right. It's like one, one project creates a series of problem solving And so now you have to go down that path. Okay, now we need hot stamps. We can make hot stamps. How do you make a hot stamp? And of course now, because we made one, I've got like a million people who want us to make their hot stamps for them. And I'm not sure if we're going to get into that business or not. I mean, it seems like a a very open market, but there's a lot of other guys doing it. They're just not great at marketing themselves. So we're kind of like trying to push people in that direction. Like go talk to Pat over at Howling Wolf. Howling Wolf, he's really good at it. And nobody thinks to ask him cause he's a knife maker, but he does do this work. Um, but then anyways, so we, we went and we, I said to Ryan, all right, make 25 of these hammers. We'll do 25. And he was like stoked. And then I saw the progress of all of his social media, everything he was showing off. He was documenting just like we do at housemade document, don't create document, don't create, he's showing all this great footage and I'm getting DM after DM, after comment, after comment, How do I get one of these hammers? (laughs) How can I sign up? No joke. We we gained 10 patrons in our Patreon because we made the first, we gave the first crack to these hammers to only Patreon, patron members. So it was like, all these people are signing up for a patron now and they just want to jump on so they can get a first crack at it. We sold 40 hammers in two hours. And then we released- yeah, and then we released the last 10 to the public and they sold in like 5 minutes. But uh it was unbelievable to watch the community support this project not just because it's a $100 hammer. I love that concept by the way. $100 handmade hammer and I think it's it's a great concept. It's not there's not a ton of margin in it, but it, there's enough. And it also puts handmade hammers in the hands of a lot of guys that mm. wouldn't normally have you know, they would maybe they're not working with that type of hammer. And there's something different about using one of Ryan's hammers, or if you buy a hammer from, say, uh, John Norwood, right? Or Michael Hoops, or, you know, these guys that make hammers, right? Um, John Ariani and Cliff Dufton. When you get one of those hammers in your hand, you're getting a piece of them, right? A little bit of their energy is in that tool, and you get to channel that tool to make things for you. Some people might argue that fact, but I think, and it might be semantic and it probably is, but I do believe there is something that comes along with somebody that made a tool and then they're able to, you know, transfer that energy into a project that you've been working on. So I feel so blessed to be a part of this work that we do, you know, at Housemade and uh, and I just hope people hear my words and, you know, want to do it too. You know, they want to inspire others or just go out and make something and, be a part of uh, this awesome community because not only did we sell 50 hammers, somebody in our patron list bought two and paid it forward and gave one away, which was like another, you know, very inspiring thing to listen to this person say, I don't know who I want to give this to. Could you find someone that could use it? And then within a few hours, somebody popped up that wanted a hammer and, couldn't get it, you know, missed out on the sale or just, you know, for whatever reason, didn't have the means to do it. And we were able to, you know,
2: facilitate gift him.
0: Yep. Yeah. So that's amazing. Amazing shit going on fellas. And then it, I feel like a lot of this started right at maker camp. I really do. I, that place is just magical, you know, to be there. And to be, that was my first year this year going,
2: come on, Brian, we've been um, preaching was, it for years.
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> Nobody I know. wants to listen well, I think what it amounts to is it I don't think people fully gather what happens there and it's because t- I think a couple reasons. One is, you know, there's not a lot of internet up there and so people aren't sharing <laughs> a lot of social content while they're there. They share it after usually.
2: Yeah, but I think um, that's part of what happens there.
0: You're you're right. You're 100% right. People put their phones down and they're Face timing with each other, you know, real FaceTime, right.
2: like real FaceTime.
0: And so if you haven't gone, there's like hardly any advertising or marketing, you know, for maker camp other than us just talking about it now, but it's growing every year. So I can, I yeah. can only imagine next year is going to be huge.
2: Let's hope, let's hope. I mean, he sells out every year. So yeah, I think he had, does he lim- limit the tickets? What's that? Does he limit the ticket? Yeah.
1: Oh, he yep. does. Yeah. yeah, he's trying to grow things slowly so that he doesn't end up with, Lines. you know, too, too large of an event that they're not, they don't have the infrastructure to deal with. Sure. It could turn into that pretty quick, I
2: think. Yeah. Yeah. Because he could easily fill that field up with, with 3,000 people and only have enough f- for 1,000 people to do stuff. So I could see it. But yeah, yeah this year the he had, what, 750 people there? That's a lot of people. A lot of people.
0: Yeah. It's probably more than that, I would think. Because, like, I don't know if, like, my ticket counted. Because I, I was no, you just been a, like a uh, vendor or whatever.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't count. counted. So, like, all of the demonstrators and everything are above that. Demonstrators, Got sponsors, it. whatever. I would assume are above that. I don't know. But, yeah, it's a vibe up there. I call it the butterfly effect for everything that happens. It's not just the event. It's the things like this gnome hammer housemaid like joining up like this podcast was made there like it's a butterfly effect all these different things are happening because of maker camp which is it's a special
0: place so the genesis of the working hands podcast started at makers
2: maker camp Yes. yep 2019 yep the three of us met in 2019 damn chad was the first maker i met no kidding
0: i got a chance to talk to chad For a long time, because I was waiting to get my picture taken by Mark. (laughs) Chad was in line right in front of me, and we were all hanging out and talking and everything. And I am still Team Chad, even after that conversation, if you can believe it. Even even after that
2: conversation. (laughs) Everyone's Team Chad. Team Chad, baby. I have a brother of mine. He's Team Chad, too. And he tells me all the time, I'm still Team Chad. He's like, he's not even on the show anymore, and he's still my favorite part of the Working Hands podcast. (laughs) Way to kick a guy when he's down, you know? (laughs) brutal. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, Chad's a good guy. Yeah. I was happy to see him there this year.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was surprised to see him, actually. And a a funny story about Tony. I didn't know what Tony looked like, so I'm standing in a circle of people talking, and, of course, Tony's very quiet. He's just this large human standing <laughs> to my left and uh all of a sudden he opens his mouth and he starts talking and i turn and, you know tony's got a very unique voice and I, and I turn to him and i go oh that oh okay now hey and i shook his hand and it was great and i i think that's just a fan it was a great
1: way to introduce yourself tony so I, yeah I, that's that's uh it's happened more than once <laughs> since we started this I've seen a few photos of you
0: where you're deadlifting and stuff when you're doing your heavy lifting, and it's but it, it does. You
1: look different in those photos. You yeah, know what I mean it's yeah. just not the you're, same. You know, your face contorts and, <laughs> and you <laughs> shit your pants and yeah, all that stuff. Turns red, veins are popping out. Yeah, your face color is a little bit different. There's there's a few things that go on there. Definitely a transformation there. Yeah, for sure. So,
0: but uh, no, I had a fantastic. Experience at Maker Camp and it gave me, it renewed a lot of the energy. It was good for me. I needed, I had been working a lot and focusing on product development and, you know, sales and all this stuff. And it's like when you go to Maker Camp, you're forced to get, not forced, but it's like very, uh, it's a good foundation to be creative and to talk to people and get inspired. And that's what happened to me. Came back with a fire lit underneath me and i it was really more or less a fire for blacksmithing you know working with hot steel not necessarily knives but doing other things with steel
2: so it spawn the ashtray again
0: yeah it did yeah it spawned the ashtray getting back into it because i was watching people work with it at maker camp work with bigger pieces of steel and move steel with tools that i had access to and i'm like man i gotta do something with this and then, you know, the hammer project, the hot stamps, I mean, it all just kind of blended together and, and it worked. It just inspired me to do more, do more creatives. In fact, I was late to get on this podcast tonight because I was doing something in my workshop that wasn't related to house made per se. It was a creative endeavor and I was pursuing it because I was inspired by, by somebody at
2: maker Camp. So it's just like I'm any gonna content do this. around this coming out
0: no i didn't film any of that i just that's it's just best, uh it? yeah, so yeah it was just me going for it yeah yeah making shit yeah
2: tony does that every day he doesn't he doesn't
1: film anything <laughs> no
0: <laughs> his content creation is
1: this podcast yeah yeah i've said i've said that before <laughs> yeah that's it yeah
2: yeah so did you get outside of the blacksmithing tent at maker camp did you see other stuff
0: I did. I wandered around and uh, you know, just like anywhere, maker camp tends to be clicky. You got like the woodworkers in one area and the welding fabrication guys in another, blacksmiths in another, knife maker. And I tried to bounce around as much as possible and meet people. And I uh, I met um Tom, this guy that spins bowls, um something street. I can't I think of him the too. name of his business.
2: You know who I'm talking
1: he about? He did the right? frying pan in the in the swap. Yeah, he did the it? frying
2: pan for the swap.
0: Yeah. Oh. Well, that was Lucas. That's Tim Lucas. Oh, okay. you're talking about the metal fi- the metal uh, frying pan, right? Yes. I'm yeah. talking about a wood turner. Somebody that made a bowl and it, it they, they turned it in kind of late. His name was Tom. Oh, Tom McGuire and
2: yeah, Tom McGuire.
0: Tom. Okay, Ivy Side. I wood didn't know his Shop. last name. Yeah, Ivy Side. That's it. Yeah, and I met him and his wife KJ. And talk with them yeah talk with them just lovely people and it it spawned from the rain that we got on saturday everybody was under the pavilion hanging out just kind of drinking and talking and doing whatever and i just sat down at a table full of people that i didn't know and i just started talking to people started meeting and uh dave uh, the 3d printer guy dave 3d
2: yeah 3d diy dave or whatever his name is
0: yeah. Yeah. I got a chance to sit down with him. I gave him a swag pack and um, he didn't know who I was at all and, and no con- connection there. And then, you know, now we're, we talk, you know, a lot and it's like, it's great. It's, you know, you have to bounce outside of your comfort zone. Cause I would, I could have just stood there and I did spend a lot of time hanging out with Cliff and John and Jeff and all the guys from coal iron and everything. I mean, I did that. I did a lot of that. It's just uh you gotta yeah, you gotta unplug from that normalcy and then you gotta get a, get into all the other stuff that's out there, plus, I met all the guys from Onefinity, Morgan from Onefinity that was like a happenstance thing. I sat down at breakfast one morning and they were at my table, and do you, uh just do learned that Morgan lives I don't, I almost bought one, but they had a long waiting list uh Same you know, Like he ordered it, and I, it was too long. I needed something quick, you know, I need something in stock. And I told Morgan that and he goes, yeah, I know, you know, we have trouble keeping them in stock and all. Turns out, though, that Morgan, the guy that does all of the content creation for Onefinity, lives in Sanford, which is like two and a half hours north of where I am in Florida. And I'm like, wow, you got to come down to my shop and hang out. And he's like, what do you do there? And I'm like, "Eh." and I started showing him my content and I showed him the reel about making the little graphite mold. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, you guys got to start talking about making these molds, using Onefinity a little bit, you know, cutting boards and signs is great. But, you know, there's more to it. And, he, and it, it blew his mind. He's like, yeah, I never thought about that. Milling graphite with the Onefinity. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. So hopefully we'll have those guys down. I got on the Weld.com because I met Bo from Weld.com there. I got on their podcast He's and I got, character. you know. Oh my God, those guys are fantastic. You know, it's just the, there's, there's a lot of business to be done at maker camp, you know, but it's also just like the connections. It's just like running around talking to people that you make connections with and it, and it helps you can like, I see it as like a means to get in front of people that you've never been able to get in front of and then get a chance to talk to them just briefly about what you do. In my case, I, you know, my thing about two by 72 bug grinders, I think there should be one in every workshop. I think they're, they're the one tool that it transcends and can go into every workshop because it's such a useful tool, you know? So I want to get in front of the guys that are, you know, woodworkers and leather workers and all this. I want to, I want them to know that this tool exists. Um, it's not just for metal. And so, I would, But I didn't really talk a lot about that, actually. I just kind of met people and hung out. So anyways, I don't mean to go on about this. It's Yeah, like, but in the <laughs> end, that's all.
2: I mean, it's all going to work because now they're going to follow you and follow what you're doing and see what you make and vice that's versa. And eventually yeah. it's all going to work out, even though you didn't specifically have that conversation.
0: Yeah, and I think I really more or less care about the connection more than anything just because some of those folks – like Luke, Luke in the garage. I've followed for a long time and love his work. And I think he's hilarious. So I got a chance to just talk with him, you know, and it was just great to just say, like, tell somebody like, Hey, you're con Jimmy Duresta is another classic example. You dragged me into his shop, Keith on day one. Why that was a great you? <laughs> kicking and screaming. I was like, no, I don't want to go hang out with Jimmy. This is bullshit.
1: And yeah, uh, so that's, no, that's, do you realize Brian? I have never been to the barn. No. And he takes you to the barn. What I the don't hell? go to the barn. We should have brought you with us. <laughs>
2: I know you told that story very differently on your podcast than what ha- had transpired. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know yes. if I should be blowing that up your not spine. How it now. Happened.
0: But, no, it's yes. not how it happened. Yeah. I wanted to go very badly. And, uh, and Keith knew well, this, of course. And so
2: I'm, i'll tell it from my perspective we go down they're talking i go in to check with austin to see if he needs anything and house is down there and they're i guess you guys are talking about how to weld these things up and for two days before you got there people were talking about who was going to weld it there and i thought it was all planned out so i didn't want to get involved and then you guys are like well the gas ain't going to get here until friday anyway And then Austin says, can you take him over to Jimmy's? And I said, sure, I'll go get my truck. And I'm walking up to get my truck, and I can feel it coming from Brian, right? He he didn't move, but I can feel (laughs) it coming from Brian and Sarah that we're getting in that truck, right, as I'm walking. So I'm walking up, and I drive back down. I start loading everything in, and I get out of the truck, and Brian's there. He's like, so uh, where are you going? Who's Jimmy? Where are you going? I said, (laughs) Jimmy's. (laughs) And he goes, do you think I should go since they're I'm like, yeah, you could go if you want, <laughs> but I was going to tell you to just get in the truck. We're going over to Jimmy's. Cause I know that you're a huge fan and everything. And it, but like the look on your face was like a kid in a candy store. Can I go to Jimmy's? Can I go to Jimmy's? Can I go to Jimmy's? <laughs> you played a cool though. I think though, a, lo- but um, it was I think a lot of
0: people. Oh, totally. A lot of people would want to be in that position and you know, they don't get a chance. And it's like that opportunity was just so sweet and so cool. Cause we spent like, like an hour, hour and a half over there and welded up a bunch of stuff and, uh, you know, got a chance to just sit with Jimmy and, you know, I got a chance to tell him what his work meant to me and how he contributed to my success. And I got a little one-on-one time with him and it was like, uh, to him, I'm sure he has heard that before, you know, lots of people probably tell him that same thing, but um, you know, I built a connection there with Jimmy and it was great. And he's just like, everybody says he is. He's, he's Jimmy Duresta, kind and caring and unassuming and just a good dude all around. And, you know, there's that old adage. It's like never meet your heroes because, you know, they'll disappoint you pretty much every time. And I had that thought in the back of my head, like, oh man, we're going to go to Jimmy's place. And, you know, what happens? Like, if it's just not good or whatever. But it wasn't (laughs) that at all. It was better than I could even think of in my mind or even imagine in my head. It was so good because we're all just kind of hanging out making stuff in the barn. And, like, you know, I'm welding and Jimmy's pretending to learn something from me and whatever else. That's pretty (laughs) great. And I'm just like, yeah, Jeremy, this is how you do a C pattern when you're welding with a MIG MIG torch. Let me show you how to use your own equipment, you know, and um, and then a bunch of familiar faces pop up all around us. Right. You know, people that I've seen on socials all around us are hanging out and we're just hanging out in the front yard and talking. I'm talking to Rob Rojas and just I got to meet uh, Joe Jacks and, you know, just uh, it was just great. It was a fantastic time.
2: J.D. was there. The, um, yeah, what threw me off was I'd only been there a couple of times. Right. And I guess I'm friendly with Jimmy, but I, I don't know if he considers me a friend. And now I'm going to, and he knew I was going right. Cause Austin had called him and said, Hey, Keith's coming. So he knew I was going. He did not know I was bringing somebody. And the whole time, the whole drive over there, we're talking, but I'm freaking out. Like, uh, I'm friends with Jimmy, but I'm not friendly enough to be showing up with extra people in my truck <laughs> and I'm bringing Brian and his wife there we're going and the whole time. I'm thinking, Oh man. And then I called them to, to figure out what shop we had to go to and I should have asked him then. And I didn't. And then we get off the call as I'm driving. I'm like, Oh man, I screwed this up, you know? And I'm nervous about it. I get out of the truck and I go running to the barn to tell Jimmy, Hey, I also brought so-and-so with me and I get out of the truck and Brian is on the other side of the truck talking to talk to his wife getting out and jimmy's like is that house is house here and he was all excited to meet brian i was like oh man thank god
0: that blew blew my mind that he heard my voice and knew it was me and i'm like man that's crazy because he listens to the podcast and he was on the podcast uh with us uh once and so yeah i guess is that the first time that you guys met in person yeah we'd never met in person No, no so uh yeah no it was great and he got a chance to tell me that he loves my work you know he's like man the stuff you're making is fantastic um so blew my mind you know it's like you never know who's watching that's that's a thing it was a thing it keith it man i how i hope you know how much that moment meant to me it will be something i forever go back to in my head that entire afternoon oh thursday it was
2: written it was all over your face man <laughs> and then me and sarah kept standing back we were getting like different angles so you working with his tools and shop stuff i sent you a bunch of videos and i'm like i gotta capture this because this is like a once in a lifetime you can only meet him huge. once right huge
0: huge deal for me yes so, yeah it was such a big deal for me and it still is like it, it, it I, I cannot tell you how important that moment was in my life it was super important. And uh, thank you, by the way.
2: I didn't do it. I, yes, I just you drove. did. I you just drove, drove me there. <laughs> thank He's Austin. The Austin's him. the one that made the call, not me. <laughs> so, yeah. But, it, I mean, it was cool. That was the first time. I, it was only, like, the third time I was there, maybe. It might have been the second. But, like, it was empty. Last time I was there, there was a crew of, like, 30, 40 people there. And it was just cool to be in that that barn, and just yeah. kind of hanging out, doing nothing, watching what, you guys Why weld. was there
0: 30, 40 people hanging out there? Was it like a gathering or something Jimmy was doing?
2: Um, what was it?
1: That was post-Timber Inn.
2: Yeah, it was after the Timber Inn.
1: Ah, I got gotcha. you. Uh,
2: we all went over there for, for, for like a half hour, hour, walked around. That's yeah. he, he invited had, us over after the Timber Inn.
1: Yeah, Rojas had a bunch of us over to the uh, the haunted house there that he's got, the old farmhouse which is further past the milk run. Yeah. Um, I was there because I'd I'd biked down to the timber inn, and uh, but I was running kind of short on time, and I took off, and then I get a text from him by the time I'm, I don't know, four or five hours later as I'm making my way up through probably Maine by that point, and he's like, yeah, we were just at Jimmy's. I was like, son of a bitch.
2: (laughs) It was like. I missed it. Two minutes after he fires up the bike and starts rolling out, that, that that Rob Rojas, is he hangs up the phone. He's like, hey, Jimmy said let's go over there. So we all went over to the barn. It, it was pretty cool. That was the first time I was there.
0: Morgan uh, from Onefinity is a big Jimmy fan. And I was talking with Jimmy after the fireworks, and um, Morgan kind of slides into the conversation, hands Jimmy like this little thing that he had made, and they're talking and jimmy's like oh i have to go uh give a tour of the workshop to some people uh so i'm gonna i'm gonna head back to the house and um you know anybody if you guys want to come with you can and morgan's just standing there and i look at morgan and i go jimmy duresta just invited you to his workshop you should probably go with him and he (laughs) and he goes he goes Really, I can go, and Jimmy goes, "Yeah, come along, come on over, let's 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 uh let's hang out, and I'm gonna you can be a part of the tour or whatever." And Morgan, like he's got you know he's got that mustache, it like the mustache was touching his ears, I think, as, as, <laughs> while he was climbing into Jimmy's big truck, you know, to go off to the the workshop there and stuff. And it funny. was just surreal. I think the other part of it too that blew my mind was wait, we were driving through Durham or East Durham. And I saw the go-kart track and I was like, Oh, the go-kart track is here. And I'm like, it's so weird because I had never been in that part of the country before, but yeah. I recognized all these places, you know, from Jimmy's videos.
1: Yeah. That was a fun thing for me in 19. Cause me and, and Lil drove down and when we were going through East Durham, we found like the milk run. And then I realized where Jimmy's place was. Cause it's right on the main road and everything. So. That was, uh, kind of, and then found his like where the, his other shop is and where the, uh, it was the go-kart track, which actually I think that's what started everything. I think they had a ice cream shop or something in there, wasn't it? That uh, Austin had in there. Yeah. That's how they got talking.
2: Yeah. So the story goes, yeah, there was a car accident or something and Austin came out and was handing out ice cream cause everyone was out on the street there in town and it had knocked out the power so he was out there handing out ice cream uh just trying to get rid of it and he looked up and he saw jimmy DeResta, and he's like that's jimmy to what are you doing here and that's that's how they met they didn't know that, that he didn't know that jimmy had a house in his town oh interesting yeah I
0: have, I have we were talking uh i was talking with brent uh smith who works with me and uh do you, you guys know uh chip and joanna Gaines, uh the the people that like uh, they run that tv show i can't think of the yeah. name of the show but anyway magnolia. they move oh, one to of the t- renovation one of the renovation ones yeah magnolia that's it That that's the company they run and the town that they move to somewhere in texas And I don't, I don't know i think it's waco or somewhere near there they transform that town right they they move there they create content around the town and you know all this and brent says do you think that's what jimmy's doing with east durham like he's you know he's the he's moving there and and like you know the all these other folks are buying up properties up there you know maybe they're going to turn it into kind of like a youtuber maker kind of uh you know place and and I said yeah maybe we got to think about buying some property up there you know because I'd like to be near all that energy at some point in my life you know buy a piece of property
1: eastern yeah. new york I, i'd say it's definitely happening in a small way i mean you got uh zep bought property up there Yep. Uh, and Make Rob. everything shop. Rob, um Rob. and then there's multiple people that we know that have at least entertained the idea. Um yeah. <laughs> Keith's putting his hand up. <laughs> but yeah. I look every day. Yeah. There is a you really? You are looking yeah. up there,
2: huh? Yeah, I've yeah. been looking since twenty like twenty one, maybe.
1: Yeah. There. I've I've yeah. thought about it too, but I mean it's just not I mean it's not feasible for me, but <laughs> I've looked at it. Um, but yeah,
2: I don't I mean, care if, it, if I'm in East Orem. I've talked about this before, but East Orem is the same distance away from the city as I am now, but just North. So it's like the top end of my radius for work. So if I went up there, my commute doesn't change, but my cost of living goes down and that would be the furthest I would want to be. So it's not like I'm looking in East Orem, but like, that's the top on the radius that I would go to,
0: Yeah. The, the property values are actually pretty reasonable. I mean, I, I looked up there and I was like, wow, you can get a pretty nice size piece of property for a pretty decent price mm-hmm. with a house on it, you know, might need a lot of work, but yeah, it's definitely going to need a little work. <laughs> it's a lot of that up there. Yeah. I also had this thought too, like how do people get around when the roads are icy up there? Cause it's a lot of Hills. And a lot of like mountain switchbacks.
1: Did did you see the trucks that everybody owns there?
0: Well, that's what I figured. <laughs> have to have a big truck, but even with a four four wheel drive truck, you would think it'd be a little a little harrowing to drive on those roads.
2: Uh, it's it's not as bad as you would think because the people who live there know how to plow it and keep uh-huh. and upkeep. So, so like they're on top of it, unless unless it unless you get dumped on, it's pretty much clear.
1: Yeah, and. St- honestly snow is not the issue you can drive through feet of snow but the problem is if it becomes icy If you get dumped on with like freezing rain or something that's when it's really sketchy and then that's just stay home that's that's what we do that's what we do up here (laughs) like they'll actually if we get enough snow they'll take the plows off the road and say if you're out you're on your own um which I have to deal with, with, with work cause I just have to be there at certain times. And, uh, yeah, there's like, you're on your own. When the snow clears up, we'll come out and f- clean the roads up. Yeah. Cause I've done that. I've driven on our main highway with about a foot of snow on the, on the road.
2: So basically hot chocolate near the fire place yeah. is pretty much. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it. yeah. I would be in a position where I, if I moved up there, you know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't probably need to work as much as I do now, you know, it's my thought. So it'd be like, go up there, build a, build a nice size workshop and, you know, either buy a house or something that's could be renovated and then make things and do classes or, you know, just, uh, be around people that, that want to do the same kind you know, that we do, uh, be creative and and uh, empower uh, people to do the same thing, right? Slow down a bit. That's <laughs> what I want to do.
1: Yeah, that'd be nice it would be a nice little artist maker mecca kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that's what that's what we were talking about. We were saying like it's got the right kind of infrastructure there and it's close enough to the city and bigger cities, right? Where yeah, artists can sell things, you know, you you've got people People wouldn't shy away from coming there. From you know, it's a good centralized
2: location,
1: yeah. I mean, you're what an hour and a half to New York, three hours ish Mm -hmm. to Boston, and you know, Hartford,
2: four hours to um, to Philly,
1: yeah. So, you're you're in a good spot, like, yeah, you're right.
2: It's a good spot to be in. Get I want to go up there and get out of the rat race, like, right now, yeah, I could move up there. And I wouldn't stress as much about the mortgage or the taxes I'm paying on my property here in Jersey. Like just be easier to have a much less daunting mortgage payment and all that, you know. The cost of living's cheaper. Yeah. So
0: Yeah, I hear you there. I'm trying the to hack away. Essentially. Yeah. I'm trying to hack away at my mortgage every month. I pay a little extra every month. And uh, so I don't want to be paying that, you know, ten years from now. My my goal is five years be mortgage free. If possible, uh, and 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 just be able to not have that weight, you know, that debt hanging around your neck. Uh, mortgage is a French word. Maybe I am wrong, but I've someone told me this that mortgage is a French word or
1: derived from a French word that means death pact. <laughs> well, mort mort is death in French, right? right? Mortgage.
0: So, yeah but uh yeah it's a part it's a part of life you know you gotta have you gotta have that debt you' gotta you gotta have honest debt like a house, hopefully not for a long not long time, but uh yeah, definitely, but yeah, so you know, Durham, New York could be like the next big maker mecca, right where that's what Jimmy's trying there. for, yeah, it'd be
2: pretty great, it would be well,
1: well, I mean, it is one of those spaces like spots where like there is like enough industry. Well, actually, that's something that, uh, I don't know if I talked about this before, but when me and, and Adam from, uh, Uncle Sam Metalworks, we biked from Auburn, Mass through the Route 20, through Mass to East Durham for the Timber Inn, and when we were going through the 20, I forget the town we hit, but I can remember stopping at a light and Adam's eyes were big and he's like man this place would be awesome to live in he's like there was metal supplier there was an abrasive supplier he was like pick, picking up all these things that were in that town in mass and i was like yeah it's a, it was a great spot for him as a as a knife maker because he could get everything he needed locally that he could well from at least from the signage that he saw so that area has definitely got some some industry in it that you could uh, use for sure
2: i I think the appealing part of a town like East Dorm is that it, it's it, it's almost at its bottom, and I, I don't want to say that like East Orm's is a terrible town or anything, but like it used to be a resort town, right? And now it's not so much a resort town because of airplanes and all that stuff, right? It's no longer the Catskills or whatever, right? So there's a lot of opportunity to make it into the next thing, like its next birth of whatever it's going to be whether it's going to be the make a Mecca or handmade knife place. That's where you go when you want a handmade knife. Like all the knife makers live here. So that's where you want to be. Like it can become whatever is going to happen, whether it's a a bunch of furniture makers or just makers in general, right? Like that's where you go for your handmade goods. It could happen. So that's what I think is appealing about that town.
0: Yeah. I I found that interesting too when I was, uh, I got up in the morning and I ran around the grounds there and uh, from my hotel and then down into Blackthorn. And I'm like, man, there's all these little hotels, motels. Then there's, and they're aging, of course, you know, they're older places. But uh, then there's all those campgrounds all around it where all these Mm -hmm. people were hanging out. And I'm thinking this is kind of like the spot people go to get away from the city or they go to try to get away from urban areas. And hang out. And there was a lot of people up there. I mean, it was a lot. Even during Maker Camp, even with the shitty weather, I mean, there was a lot of people hanging there that weren't part of Maker Camp.
2: Yeah. I mean, it so. it used to be the getaway place from the city was that area up there. They called it the Irish Alps. Oh, wow. And everyone who would leave the city would go there. Like when you couldn't, like, like before the interstates were invented, right? and you were just going to drive away for the weekend or for a week or whatever, you would drive up there. It was either go down the Jersey Shore or you would go up there. And that's huh. what, like that's where the vacations were. Or there's a place in, it's called the Poconos in Pennsylvania. So so you'd go to the Poconos, the, the Catskills, Adirondacks, or the Jersey Shore. And everyone would lead the cities and go there. And then interstates and air travel and all that stuff brought people all over the world, and that's why it kind of got run down a little bit. Yeah, makes sense. Like Dirty Dancing, that's what it was supposed to be up there. Oh. That was filmed in Georgia or North Carolina or something, but it it, it was supposed to be like they were going up up there. Gotcha, makes sense.
1: Yeah, actually, if you go on YouTube, there's a few guys that do, um, they'll go into abandoned buildings, and there's a few, I don't know if they're in the East Durham area, but they are up up in that Catskill area. And they've gone into older, abandoned uh, resorts that are still still standing at this point, but just barely. So there's a lot of that that was up there. Yeah,
0: it needs it needs to be reborn up there. Definitely does. Needs somebody to come in there and just start buying it up and putting some putting some pretty great little spots there and getting drawing people there. It's got to be Jimmy, right? I mean, he's going to be the magnet that pulls people there.
2: Yeah, from our it, community.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I have seen a few, uh, I wouldn't call them housing developments, but when you first, if you're coming in from like the Cairo side of things and you're coming up towards, uh, um, uh, the Blackthorn, Blackthorn. Yeah. My brain is really not working well tonight. <laughs> Anyways, there, you can see a lake off to your right when you're coming up towards the Blackthorn and there's like two or three houses on the far side of that lake. And that's a bit of a housing development that I've noticed over the years it's still that they're they're doing there so there there is some stuff coming up i guess
0: sure so what are you guys uh what are you guys working on right now you guys got projects going on in your workshops
2: yeah i'm doing those uh toolboxes yeah
0: i've seen that how many are you making
2: 10 i think 10
0: 10 how's it going
2: it's going (laughs) two are done two are done and i'm redesigning it at the moment i'm going to uh make them differently. It's just so they're faster to make and I can, I can crank them out, but the initial batch will be 10 and then I'll probably change the design a bit.
0: And what's the goal for them to sell Sell them?
2: them. Yeah. Whether they be jewelry boxes or toolboxes or whatever, I'm going to sell them. Yeah. It's going to be fun. I'm not looking to become the next housemaid, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) this micro manufacturing.
0: So yeah. Micro manufacturing. You, you should, uh, you should really aspire to be like Housemaid, though, because that could be what digs you out. You know, you could say, like, this is my this is my East Durham Blackthorn concept, you know, toolbox, and you start making them, you put them up on Etsy or whatever. They're very sought after, like that Kennedy box that everybody's looking for. Everybody's going to want a Blackthorn.
2: You don't want to know how many Kennedy boxes we have here. <laughs> <laughs> Too many. But yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I, I mean, I don't know if I can sell that many of a wooden box yet. So I'm working on the, the manufacturing side at the moment, working that out, trying to make them fast yeah. to make so I can be profitable and bring it down to a price point. Most people are going to want to buy it. Sure. So
0: that's the big challenge. Everybody will tell you how they think it should be done. You know, when we make something, they're like, you know what you should do? You should do this. <laughs> and I go, Yeah. But see, I want to make a little money when I make these things. So I can't take everybody's advice, unfortunately, but like, you know, there's, you design for manufacturability, right? It's the things that we're doing now. So you make compromises a little bit, but you try to find that sweet spot that's between compromise and profitability and manufacturing so that you can actually pump them out fast enough. Sometimes, like in the cnc case uh, this is a classic example i would have bought a one i wanted one it's just i didn't have time to wait so i went with a millwright and i'm very happy with it. it's a great machine uh but i would have rather had a one you know but they just didn't have them in stock so it's just like sometimes that's just the case you sell something because you have it you know it's in stock and because you're good at you know keeping up with the manufacturing
2: side of things yeah i i mean i spoke with the boys from green street they make I don't know, a thousand boxes a year or more. Uh, are they like uh, I, I, I? It's a deal they have. I, I don't know if you follow those guys, but they make these salt boxes for um that this foundation that, and they sell them, and they make them at like five hundred a time or a thousand a time, whatever they get the order from. So I went and I talked to those guys. What was it? Two weeks ago now, Tony. And they were telling me, oh, change this, change that. This will make it faster. This will make that Mm. faster. So all these changes now are going to be incorporated in the next box. And then that'll kind of set the pace for how long it's going to take me to make them, how fast I can produce them, how cheaply I can produce them. So
0: I'm going to look up this box, this salt box.
2: Yeah, it's Kenji and Leone salt box. The Green Street makes them. Um, They're uh, famous chefs or something. Do they post them on the Green Street? uh
0: somebody uh, yeah kenji lopez and brad leone yeah they made or somebody made a youtube video about it so i'm
2: looking john peters
0: yeah john peters you got it you nailed it yep yeah so they make a thousand of these
2: yeah i think they've made 2500 so far or 2200 so far they just got done this week with around a 700 wow and they're like you when they put them up for sale 15 minutes they go
0: no kidding.
2: Yeah. So they do it twice a year. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The drops thing, man, I didn't think that would be successful, but I heard Jimmy talking about pre orders and doing drops and how important it is to build, you know, build a little bit of hype around something and then maybe do a pre sale. Uh, you know, it, we're working on a project right now that's like kind of a risky endeavor. It's, it, it's expensive to make. And I'm, about ready to come to market with it. And it's like, we're going to do before I make them all or make a bunch of them, I'm going to do a pre-sale. So if they sell, I'm just going to tell everybody, well, if you buy one, it'll ship within a month. And then that way I'll know I can get a taste of what the market is like for these things. And it's, I'm not used to doing that. I'm used to like, okay, we'll we'll build 200 and then we'll just sell them throughout the course of the year. Or, you know, they sell faster and then we'll, we'll buy another 200 or whatever. And we have 50 left. And um, so this is kind of like a new experience for me, but Jimmy really thinks it's a good idea. And he, he does this with some of the things that he makes where he'll release like a pre order and then he'll fill the order, you know,
2: Jeff and that, Rob I think are pushing with the ice me. picks, what's that?
0: Who, who's, who's pushing you,
2: Jeff and Rob over at green street, they're pushing me to do just do a pre order and then just make them. But I, I don't want that over my head. Like if I sell twenty Let's now, I got see. twenty boxes. I have to make by a certain date. I'd rather have them in inventory and then mail them.
0: That's that's my thought too. Uh, but yeah, pre order could work in your case. I mean, I don't know what the price point is on them, but you know, it might be something that maybe you sell three or four a month, or you know, maybe you sell ten a month. I don't know. Uh, but it, you know, you get a good workflow going. You see?
2: Yeah, I got to see how long it takes me to make them with the new design. I'll tell you about it later. Sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm interested.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, man. So, what else? What else is going on, gentlemen? I'm uh, Tony. What do you got going on? You got anything in in the forge that you're working on?
1: Not lately. Um, I've been since I got back from shutdown. Uh, or back from shutdown. I'm so fried. I'm on. I'm on my first day off after night, so my brain's a little fried. but um after camp i was working a shutdown this entire time so i've been kind of more focused on that kind of stuff right now and my days off have been pretty much a blur because you're just trying to recover from from the the nights and everything so last night was my last uh shift for the shutdown so now it's time to get back at some normalcy and uh get back into the shop so Right now, I actually have to, uh, as I talked to you about the uh, blower, I have to uh, get that blower set up and, and working on my forge. But uh, that should be a little afternoon project, and I'll be up and running. I mean, if
0: you think about it, and I've said this on a couple of other podcasts, the Apollo Forge project, which is what brought me to Maker Camp is a result of the make what you fear challenge that you guys had right here on the show.
1: Yeah. I, the funny thing it is I remember when it happened, but then had forgotten about it until you mentioned it. However long it was six or eight months ago again, like when the, when you brought the Apollo to market and I was like, wow, I forgot that that's, that's, that's what happened. Yeah.
0: I was building it for the challenge and I was documenting it of course, and ha- using the hashtag and then, of and then all these people are saying, "Oh, I'd I'd love to build that. I'd build one of those. I'd, you know, it looks pretty good." And I'm like, "You haven't even seen it fire yet. I don't even know if it's going to work." <laughs> and um,
1: and <laughs> yeah, but once once you see what you were doing, you could tell that, like, as far as I'm concerned, what I was seeing was like, "Okay, he's doing the right things. Like, you had the right bricks in the right spots and all that kind of stuff. So it, would, it was lining up in the right in the right way."
0: yeah and I did a lot of research and I talked to a lot of people that built forges. You know, I just went and messaged people and said, "Hey, can I call you? I, I'm building this thing and I'm designing this thing and I want to know more about it. And I got connected with a guy named Mark Krauss who kind of builds like junkyard style forges like out of stuff he can find and you know and so he's like the, the right guy to talk to. And that's how we changed the way that we did the air delivery system. You know, when I worked with Mark, Mark was saying, you need a centrifugal fan, not this standard squirrel fan stuff. You need a centrifugal fan so that it's churning the air in a specific way. And he was right. We went through like four or five fans before we found the right one. And now it's crazy how many forge, like production forge guys are building all their forges like my forge. You know, they've changed their... They're designed to meet the Apollo,
1: yeah and like, well and, man, and what you've done there too you've made that you've bridged the gap between like a a mister volcano type scenario and then the like n c forge and and those those guys are doing like the farrier forges and and then um, I can't remember the name of the ones that do. That were the forge and fire ones, those blade maker ones.
0: Oh, the chili, chili
1: forges? No, it's a different name. I can't remember now. I looked it up a while back, but there was, there was a huge gap because in a, when the, um, the Mr. Volcanoes came out, like they're a hundred dollars. They're pretty cheap, but they're reasonable for anybody trying to, to learn. But then your next step was, you know, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen hundred 1500 bucks. So that's, that's a big step for a lot of people that are just trying to do a, like a, a weekender kind of thing. Like it's, or as a hobbyist, it's kind of tough to spend that kind of money on, on something like that. So if you're not sure of whether or not it's something you're going to continue doing, so I think you, you've got a good, you're in the right spot where you, you're, you're bridging that gap between the two and it does everything that the, the higher dollar ones do as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't want it to be too
0: big either. That was the other thing is that, some people say they wish it was bigger and some people say they wish it was smaller. So I know I'm like right in the right place. You know, if you're doing smaller projects like knives or even axes, this is like the perfect size. So you can fit a couple of hammerheads in there more than a couple, probably like four or five. And yeah. you can fit, uh, three to four billets in there if you're working on billets. And uh, a couple of people were telling me like, oh, I really wish it was bigger. I'm, and I'm like, okay, well, what are you doing with it? Like what in specific? One guy told me he was making Damascus. And I said, well, h- how much Damascus are we talking here? Because, you know, the chamber is four and a half inches wide by six inches tall by 18 inches long. And he says, well, I make like eight to 10 pound billets, you know, and I, w- I want to be able to stretch it out to four inches wide. I said, I think you could do it in this forge. It'd be tight, but I think you could do it. And he tried it, and it and it worked. And I was like, okay. So I mean, you can make a massive piece of steel in this thing. Um, but eight uh, to
1: ten pound billet, like it's the size of this guy.
0: Well, he's Swim. big, and he, <laughs> apparently he likes to make big things. So uh, yeah, I, And it's funny because you meet now that I'm in that world. Like I'm meeting all these interesting folks to do all kinds of things. And uh, people are using it to melt glass, which I never thought was something that I would what see are, in my forge. But what are they that's, melting
2: glass for?
0: Like
1: glass projects, like blowing glass.
2: Oh, yeah, they use it uh, like a glory hole or whatever they call a glass yeah. forge.
1: Well, yeah. those the ribbon burner is basically tech from glass blowing. That's what that, they, right. that's what they use. Yep. Okay. So all these
0: glass blowers started following me on Instagram when they started seeing me come to market with this, cause I guess it's like a, it is a, uh, it's, it's expensive to buy glass forge. And a lot of these guys don't need anything huge. You know, they're not working on these big, huge pieces. They're working on small pieces. So they just need something. And glass melts around 1200 Fahrenheit. So it's, it can reach that in five minutes, you know? So they, yeah. they're, they're well,
2: it's perfect it. for making bongs and, it's a perfect size the Apollo
0: that's it you're making pipes and bongs
1: well that's what I found when I was like I've said that to a few people once you've gone to like put the product out I said that for me if your product was available when I started that's what would be in my shop because I was looking for the ribbon burner I wanted something more efficient from the research that I had done and then I didn't want something as big as what was the production ones that were out there. And, you know, I didn't want to spend twelve fifteen hundred dollars 1500 on a hobby that I wasn't sure I was going to continue with. So I ended up like sourcing everything myself and making one that, you know, in the end, I think I spent maybe four or $500. I've spent more on blowers at this point than I have for the forge. Cause I've, this is, I'm on my third, third blower. So, but it's definitely yeah, definitely a, an interesting product for sure. Air is important in the in a forced
0: air burner. You got to have enough of it and it's got to be moving and turning in the right direction. And I and that's
1: Yeah, so I I started with the squirrel cage which did the job but then had to put so much fuel in to get it to really work that the efficiency went away cuz it just didn't have And then uh the one I have right now is just really the big difference for me between the one that I got through you and the one that's on it now is just noise. That blower is so much quieter and has the same potential as what I have on it, that that's what made me switch it because I, I I want to, to teach and I want to have people in my shop and that ribbon burner with that huge blower on it, um, it's just so loud. Like, it was, you couldn't, you, you have a hard time to talk over it. I basically have to walk out of the shop. I've had people in the shop and, like, talking to them. I walk out of the shop, tell them what we what the next step is, come back into the shop and do the step. So, it, it, you know, with that quieter blowers, I mean, we proved it at camp. But that, like, you had people standing beside it. Nobody knew it was running, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely quiet. Yeah. That is true. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it was a labor of love to create it. And it was even more amazing to watch people use it at maker camp, you know, guys that I really respected and be to watch them work with my tools. It was, it was like, I was, I, it was just a great experience overall. It was just such a great time. So it's gotta be cool feeling. It was a really cool feeling. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I was
1: saying here that we, uh, or you got some stones putting your stuff out like that to have us beating thrash on it in a like live audience like that so and what's even crazier is that i didn't fire any of those forges
0: before i brought them so when we set them up and fired them the first time that was the first time they had ever been lit that's how confident i was that they were going to burn
2: and they were how many did you off. bring for sale
0: uh i brought five for sale and i built i
2: built four for me how many now. of those f- five did you sell
0: all five yeah they were all gone do
2: you think if you had brought more you would have sold more
0: probably i think so yeah everyone seemed to be very uh i i think I, i i don't think i did it the right way like chris cash was helping me sell them and um and he he was the whole reason they sold i didn't like hardly tell anybody i made like one piece of content about it and then when i showed up there the boxes were all just there and um couple people had messaged me like three of them were sold before i even got there but then there was two left that needed to go and people at maker camp purchased them and that was because of chris um chris you know he's he's the guy he's the salesman like he walked up to people he's like these are the forges. you got to get one you got to buy one and people are just pulling their money out it was pretty great chris Um, is awesome he is awesome (laughs) oh my god and uh yeah, he's like a brother from another mother, man. That guy, he's just such a fantastic human being. And um, so I didn't really do any sales work. I just, I probably could have sold more if I really would have pushed it. I just didn't. It was a lot to deal with, with setting up and then talking. And like, you know, my goal was to get people using them and hopefully they'll buy one at some point in their journey. That, that was like my thing with. And also, I love the fact that they're at Maker Camp and they live at the Blackthorn now.
2: I can't wait to use it when I go up for the hammer. Yeah. Hammering. Yeah. Gonna yeah the,
1: forge, the forge the event is going to be a lot of fun now. Or, well, it's always a lot of fun, but it's we're going to have a lot more potential with having those up there.
0: Yeah. It would be cool to watch, to see how you guys set them all up and, and put them in a line and everything and use them. And you're right about them being quiet because my other forge was just like an aspirated or like a atmospheric or venturi burner. Yeah. That damn thing, when you would fire it, like – the whole shop would rumble. I mean, it was just boom, you know, and then, you know, yeah. it's running really loud and to have a forced air burner that can put out that many BTUs and heat steel the way it heats and then still be able to stand two feet away from it while it's burning. Um, Coy Baker told me, you know, he's like, this is the industry standard. He's like, this is going to be it. Like everybody's going to steal this from you. They're all going to build it this way. And I was like, yeah, probably gonna happen. That's cool though. I'm like, I'm gl- glad I was a part of it, you know. Um, and uh, anyways, but uh, he just built his Helios, the double burner one that I built custom for him, and he's gonna put a piece of content ab- out about it, uh, in the next day or two. And uh, in his, his new shop, <clears throat> he wants like freaking five more because he the double burner, yeah, he wants five more Helios forges because they can use them in sequence with like their big furnace. And he said, they're just so fuel efficient that they can just leave them running. And then when the guys need to heat something up, they can move it out of the big furnace and get it closer to them and move it around their shop. And, uh, I'm like, holy shit. So it's, it's just blows my mind. That whole thing <laughs> blows my mind every day.
2: You're moving up, Brian, you're moving up.
0: <laughs> Somebody's got to do it, I guess. <laughs> uh no i love the journey man
2: it's been it's been really great really great on the meantime let's thank those patrons tony
1: all right we'll start here we have Corey of odyssey cnc christy of twisted twine annette of 513 woodworks full steam designs by chris powell lillian archer photography david beckwith makes nb woodfinery our top tier we have e studios Donnell smith tritt man i'm having a hard time tonight <laughs> danelle smith christian brian drennan lawrence maritime nice com, ed johns of dot com, adam of uncle sam metalworks brian Housewort of Workfort podcast archigenio sorio matt of wooden mustache brad of brad's customs david and joanna of Wido works chad of chad's custom creations ryan of gnome hammer forge david of dw wood builds matt of first duke construction and daniel and drizzy thank you all
2: thank you all i think brian you got anything else before we head on over to the after show
0: that's it man i'm i had a great time on your show i love coming on the show
2: it's your first time on this show get the
0: fuck out of here i've been on this show before what are you talking about
2: never never
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was all but- my dreams
2: with that, if you're not a patron, you can become a patron of ours, or a patron of Work For It, or our good friends over there at the Makeshift Podcast, and you all get entered into the December edition of the Gnome Hammer Waffle Raffle Giveaway. What do you call it on yours, Brian? Do you call it a, a giveaway? We, we
0: just Yeah, it's just a giveaway. He just does a giveaway. Just does a giveaway. Because there's no money involved, you know? Yeah. Oh no, he does. No, he does sell tickets. That's he right. sells he tickets. He does sell yeah. tickets. Yeah.
2: So if you're a patron of Ryan's or any three of our podcasts, you get entered automatically. Or you can buy a ticket straight from Ryan if you don't want to support the community. That's fine. We get it. <laughs> his hammers are awesome. Um, I have three myself now. Brian has one. Tony has a couple. So go check them out.
1: No, I have one that's the size of the three that you own.
2: Why? What's yours weigh? 10. Oh, shit. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I have a five-pounder, a three-pounder, and a two-pounder. So I have 10 pounds. Yeah. yeah.
1: I have that on one handle.
2: <laughs> oh, man. What is the one that he makes for you weigh? Two and a half. Two and a half? That's yeah. perfect. Yeah,
1: that that's perfect.
0: a good daily driver. Yeah. Yeah. He did a fantastic job. Yeah. And we're going to do more of those, by the way. We're going to do, do you know, the next one will be a dog head. So
2: pickle okay. got his way, huh?
0: Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people requested it. It wasn't, you know, it. it's, I love a dog, dog head hammer. I think it's a fantastic, um, big fan of that style.
1: Yeah. I've never swung one.
0: It's, you know, cause they're forward heavy. Yeah. So it seems more they
1: like knife makers seems to be a big thing for them.
0: Yeah yeah definitely is and uh it's i think i like the aesthetic too myself i love the aesthetic i bought one from uh john ariani at maker camp one of his megaphone uh his hammers are just insanely beautiful Mm, so yeah yeah and i feel like i don't want to use it like i'm it's in my (laughs) rack and i'm like looking at it and i'm like oh man i don't know if i should (laughs) i want to bang on something with that but it's like his yeah. faces are polished, perfect. You know, everything is just so perfect.
2: Crisp and clean with the, I don't know what yes. you call it, but the gray part. His hammers are great. Yes. And he, uses- I have a gnome hammer one that's made just like that. Oh, yeah. yeah and I yeah, use yeah. it.
0: A, a yeah. Bito, I beat the out of it. I don't care. <laughs> it's a tool. It should be used. Yeah. But it's also a work of art in my head a little bit. So.
2: Uh, we're going to head on over to the after show. If you want to find Brian, you can find him at housemaid.us. That's on the web or on your socials, right? You got it. You can go buy two by seventy-two from him. I have one; it's phenomenal, or an Apollo, or a holdfast. Holdfast. Yeah, we didn't That's talk about those, problem. but go, but but go check them out. It's a drill press table add-on, I guess. Yeah, you'd call it. Yeah, very cool. You can also find him at the Work For It podcast. I assume you're already fans of that, but if you're not, go check that out. It's a phenomenal podcast with Brian Cohn and uh, Pickle Cutters. I only know him as Pickle. What's his name? Nick? Nick.
1: Nick, Nick Tobin. Tobin. Nick Tobin. He only That's lives it. a few hours from here.
0: I know it was he's, Nick. He's our token Canadian. <laughs> he he is Everybody token gets one. <laughs> we need one. Everyone, every show has to have one.
2: But, you, but yours is the token Canadian.
0: <laughs> the token Canadian. He's the token right. Canadian. Token token Tobin.
2: Yeah. If you want to find Tony, he's at Woodland Iron. I'm at Blackthorn Concepts. Both of us can be found at Working Hands Podcast on Instagram or at Gmail or Working Hands 3 on TikTok. If you want to rate and review the show, we'd appreciate it. But if you share the show, that's epic. Tell all your friends about it. Tell all your friends about Work For It. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week.
0: Later. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you.